one. Last month, the Wall Street Journal published an astonishing poll. From 1998 to now, the importance of religion dropped from 62% to 38%. The importance of civic involvement dropped from 62% to 27%. And having tolerance and respect for one another, seen as very important by 80% just four years ago, is now 58%. Today... There is growing opposition in our country against biblical Christianity. In fact, some have coined the phrase Christian nationalism, meaning that we want to take over the country and impose our values on the country. How that could happen, I have no idea, but other pundits and politicians are portraying Bible believers as racist, xenophobic, which means we're afraid of those who come in from outside the country, transphobic, homophobic, a threat to religious freedom, and I've read this many times, a threat to America. As a result of this, there are people in this building today who are terrified about the future. In this building are people who are brokenhearted over a child or a grandchild who's been sucked into this cultural vortex of evil. There are those who struggle to move forward, just stunned by the degradation of the world, and they they don't know what their next step should be. There are older people who wonder if there's a place for them in this world. And some feel hopeless, wondering if there's any reason for optimism at all. So today we start a series entitled, Take Heart. Because the Bible tells us to take heart, or not to lose heart, or be of good courage, or be courageous. And it tells us to take heart because we have a propensity to lose heart. We recognize that today's evil will not just pass us by if we keep our heads down and our mouths closed. Parents can't ignore this day and expect that their children won't be shaped by the future. So, through prayer, through a lot of what you're saying to me, I feel compelled to deal with this subject over the next few weeks. And my prayer for this series is that God will calm our fears renew our hope, and especially strengthen our resolve. I won't be preaching bad news every Sunday. The goal is to learn to live out the good news in the midst of the bad news. And you may disagree with some of this, and that's totally fine. What I hope is that this creates a greater unity and holiness among us, because going forward, we need each other. More than ever, we need West Haven to be a place of mutual edification, to be more assertive at bringing people into the fold and continue to create a beautiful place to grow in Jesus Christ. I'm often asked, why is wickedness growing? So that's where we start today. It'll give us a biblical framework to understand our day, and from there we can learn how to take heart. So look at Romans chapter 1. You want to keep your Bibles open because we are going to go through a lot of Scripture today. But for, to start, let's just read verse 28. It says, And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. We're going to look at four possibilities that explain why wickedness is growing. I think Romans chapter 1 is the best explanation. Maybe it's a combination of all four. But here we go. Number one, what's happening to us today? God is giving us over. He's giving our country what we want. In Romans chapter 1, look at verse 18. 
Paul is writing to the churches in Rome, the center of the Roman Empire, the belly of the beast. And he's explaining to them why wickedness is growing around them. By the time of this writing, emperor worship was already established. Can you imagine having to worship the president? Nero was the emperor at this time. He was well known for his perversion and irrationality. And Roman sexual mores were horrible. I'm going to be discreet here, but men could do whatever they wanted to do as long as they were strong enough to do it. Assault and pederasty, they were perfectly fine. The emperors practiced it. So verse 18 says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against ungodliness and the unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. That word suppress means to restrain or quash. The growth of wickedness starts when God's truth is suppressed. And they suppress the truth even though, look at verse 19, what can be known about God is evident among them because God has shown it to them. And it's evident because of verse 20. Take a look at that. Since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen. Men deny the existence of God for one reason. If there is a creator, man instinctively knows he is accountable to said creator. And the rebellious heart of man wants autonomy over accountability. But God has made himself known. Any person can look at the starry sky, the miracle of human birth, the power of a storm, and reach the conclusion there is an omnipotent, transcendent God. He has power so extraordinary that he alone creates life. No man can even create the components for life, let alone life. And we can't see him, but when a mile-wide tornado goes by, as it did a few years ago, his divine power is clearly seen, and therein lies the reason that all men are guilty. Verse 20 says he can be understood through what has been made so that men are without excuse. And Americans have even less excuse. No people on the face of the earth have had access to more biblical truth than Americans today. But verse 21 says they did not honor God or give thanks. Honor God means give weight to. God is honored when his word is obeyed. It demonstrates that he's taken seriously. Give thanks is demonstrated in lifestyle. I was given a kidney. I would demonstrate ingratitude if I lived in a way that would harm that gift, not take my immunosuppressants or eat a poor diet or not exercise. If I am grateful, I will adopt a rhythm of life that demonstrates I'm grateful. But God is not honored and men are not grateful. And the natural progression of sin continues. Look at verse 21. They became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Futile in their speculation might be the most apt description of today. How many genders are there? I can't keep track. And then the foolish heart is darkened? That means the light of Christ is not there. And the heart is so foolish that it hates, it just it reviles even a sliver of light. And that is why if you bring anything biblical into a public forum, sometimes you can be subject to unrestrained hatred. Some of you have told me stories about that. And verse 22 amplifies that. 
It says, professing to be wise, they became fools. That word fool, no joke, it can mean simpleton. And that is why you see things that happen today that defy all understanding. You see a headline or a story and you say, how could anyone think that's a good idea? There's the answer. Therefore, look at verse 23. They exchanged the glory of an incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Mankind was made to worship every one of us. And when man doesn't worship the God of the Bible, something else will fill that vacuum and ultimately delusion can become a person's religion. Now our gods are not like the Roman gods. We think we're more sophisticated, but we're not. Our gods are legion. And a god is what controls you. America's most revered god is probably sex. So look at verse 24. Therefore God gave them over in the lusts of their heart to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. That's God giving a people what they want. God has given our country over to every kind of sexual immorality. And I want to slam the brakes on here for a minute. We're talking about heterosexual immorality. Pornography, adultery, and so on. It degrades the body, it defiles the soul, it destroys marriage, which is the foundation of a society. Children are abused and trafficked, diseases go unchecked, and God is dishonored. The next step down the ladder is homosexuality, verse 26. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions, for their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. Women are usually the holdouts when it comes to virtue and morality, but when God gives a people over, the women go. And then verse 27. In the same way also, the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And the due penalty of their error is seen in physical disease and emotional destruction. Now, we need to be really clear about something. Is homosexuality worse than other sins? Don't say anything out loud. Because the answer is yes and no. Now, hang in there with me. No, an emphatic no, because all sin is sin before a holy God. Every one of us in this building, including me, have misordered desires. That's part of our sinful human nature. I'm an NHL fan. That's hockey for those of you who don't know. An NHL fan in Kansas could be called a man with misordered desires. <laughs> and some of y'all are laughing, man. Some of y'all are Jayhawk fans. <laughs> Can you roll that back about 10 seconds and erase that, Scott? <laughs> we all have desires bent towards some kind of sin. And it's really easy to say, look at that. Isn't that disgusting? when we forget to look at our own sin. The solution to misordered desires is never affirmation or acceptance. It's repentance. And I want to say to you this morning that if you're same-sex attracted, your sin is no different than any other sin before God. And I also want to say to you that you can be delivered. Jesus, the Messiah, can deliver any person from any sin by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
I don't care what that sin is this morning. You are not in bondage if you are a Christian. You may be delivered from that initially at the moment of salvation. It may be gradually as you grow in Christ, which is called sanctification. It may be a battle for you until you die, until you go to heaven, which would be glorification. But never hear God's word as saying you're hopelessly condemned. If you are same-sex attracted, you are welcome here. Any person, anybody dealing with sin, anybody lost and dead in their sin, anyone struggling with sin is welcome here. They better be because I struggle with sin. But unfortunately, this sin is worse than others in this sense. It's not only being celebrated, it's being propagated, and unfortunately, it's being indoctrinated. 25% of Gen Z now report themselves as being LBGT. I think I've got that right. It used to be 3 to 4%. And that is propagated. It tears down people. It tears down marriage. It tears down society. So when God gives the people over, it starts with sexual immorality, then homosexuality, and the bottom rung is a depraved mind, verse 28. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do the things which are not proper. That word depraved is adokimos. It means disqualified or morally reprehensible. The mind is so abandoned to sin that it is incapable of recognizing what is good. And verses 29 through 32, we won't read those, but they go into great detail as to what that's like. Now, that's what I think is happening, folks. Does that mean there's no hope? No, no, no. It just simply describes what happens to a people when God gives them what they want. Now, there's a second possibility, and what's happening is simply the work of the devil. There is a demon named Satan, and he is real. God's word calls him the accuser, the adversary, and the enemy. It says he is the deceiver of this world. That certainly fits. He is the father of lies, the ruler of this world, and the ruler of demons, and he has demons all across the globe. If you would, take a look at Daniel chapter 10 for a moment. Just look in the index of your Bible, unless you're an Awana kid and you go right to it, but <laughs> Daniel chapter 10. It's a mistake to find a demon behind every corner, or you hear people say the demon of lust or the demon of adultery. That, no, don't go there. But there are some really interesting verses in Daniel chapter 10. The angel Gabriel wants to come to Daniel. Look at verse 13. There he says, The prince of the kingdom of Persia was withstanding me for 21 days. That prince was a demon. Satan is the prince of the power of the air. So Gabriel was at war with a demon over Persia for 21 days. And that verse goes on to say the angel Michael came to help him in that battle. Then in verse 20, Daniel says, I shall now return to fight against the prince of Persia, so I am going forth, and behold, the prince of Greece is about to come. So there was evidently another demon oppressing Greece. Now that doesn't mean that there's a demon assigned to every nation, although we really don't know. I would encourage you not to take that ball and run too far with it. Years ago, before I was in the ministry, a well-meaning man came into my office with this massive map of the county, and he and a friend had sectioned it into 
20, 30, 40 territories, and he spread it out on some filing cabinets and proceeded to tell me what demon was over what territory in the county and how they divined that, I don't know, and I could not nicely get him out of there. Don't look for a demon in every section, township, and range, but demons exist, and they hate you. They attack believers, and they attack this world. And since they attack this world, doesn't that mean we're to have pity on this world? I'll just say it again. Before we rail against the world's sins, we have to be careful to look at our own. What about our greed, our slander, our gluttony, our careless words, our idolatry? So at any point in this, we need to tap the brakes pray for the lost, and try to reach the lost. It's a sin not to try and to give them Jesus who came not to condemn the world but to save it. Now, How does this describe what's happening today? Well, Satan authored the fall of men in Genesis chapter 3. He whispered in Eve's ear, Has God said? And with three little words, he cast doubt on the authority, the inerrancy, and the acceptability of God's word. And men and women have been twisting God's word into their agenda ever since. He also, and if you want to look at Matthew chapter 13, I don't think I have these verses identified. But in the parable of the soils, he steals the word of God from the human heart. In verse 1 there, Jesus tells the parable of the sower. And it says, a man went out to sow. He's sowing the word of God. And Jesus said, as he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. Those birds were demons. Jesus explained it later. The evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom seed was sown beside the road. Do you realize that there is almost certainly one demon in this building right now and I'm not going to make a cheap joke I'm very serious wherever the word of God is preached and believed the devil wants to steal it from the human heart and you have probably had an experience with this you share Jesus with someone and they're interested they're asking you questions they give you their number thank you for talking to them you set a time to follow up So a week later, you contact them, and man, they give you the cold shoulder. They act as if they don't even know you. Satan stole that word. Jesus also said the sower sowed in rocky soil, and the seed sprang up right away, but it died because of persecution or affliction. Who's behind that? The devil who wants to kill and destroy. The sower also sowed in thorny soil, but the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choked the word. Who tempts men to worry? Who lies to men about wealth? The evil one. So when the word of God is preached, Satan and his demons will steal or pollute or confuse as much of it as they can. And folks, there's something else that's very real. And that is demon possession. In the New Testament, you see both adults and children who are possessed for no apparent reason. There's a story of a slave girl in Acts chapter 16. She was making her masters a lot of money, and Paul cast the demon out of her, and he got a beating for it along with Silas. And someone might say, come on, we're more sophisticated now. 
the things that they talk about in the New Testament regarding demon possession, that was epilepsy or some other kind of illness, except Matthew 4.24 says they brought to him all who were ill, who were suffering various diseases and pains, demoniacs, there's the people who are possessed, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. So is it not possible that some of what we see today comes from people who are demonically possessed? I've only experienced one time where I believed I dealt with a person who was possessed. I told this story long ago. It's too long to go into detail, but the short version is this. I met with her on a Wednesday night with a policeman there. We got nowhere at all, and a few months later, she murdered another woman in a commuter parking lot. A person who is demon-possessed or oppressed, they can appear in their right mind. I mean, we see some in the New Testament where they're convulsing and so on, but forget the movies, folks. King Saul was terrorized by a demon. You could characterize that as oppression, but he wasn't foaming at the mouth and convulsing, but he did rule in irrational and evil ways. Mark 1.32 says, People were bringing to Jesus all who were demon-possessed. So there was evidently no struggle or opposition in bringing people to him. And in Mark chapter 1, there was a man in a synagogue, presumably there to worship, but he had a demon. So how do we battle this? Ephesians chapter 6 says we put on the armor of God. Remember that we're always at war. And that chapter says we have weapons of defenses, and I'll put them in three couplets. Truth and righteousness, the gospel itself and our salvation, and faith and prayer, six areas to strengthen. And then we have this amazing, glorious promise in Scripture that says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Put up a spiritual fight. Get in the word, get on your knees in prayer, and he will go away. That's the promise of God. Now, there's a third possibility, and we're going to hit number three and four pretty quickly. But number three is this. These could be the final days. Regardless of any eschatological system, which means an end times belief system, Jesus can return at any time. And Revelation chapter 1 verse 3 says, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are in it, for the time is near. And there are things coming together that we have never seen. I mean, you know, you think about it right now. This is listening to my sermon. If y'all from the NSA or Google, you need to get saved, man. I mean... <laughs> there are many different views of the final days the book of the Revelation, Daniel, and what's called the Olivet Discourse, Matthew 24 and 25. Regardless of one's views, the Bible does speak of a devil beast and a false prophet. It speaks of the mark of a beast. We may be on the very verge of that. There is a global push to digitize currency, and we're already under 24-7 surveillance, some of it voluntary. In the Olivet Discourse, Jesus explains some of the signs of the final days. He said, many will fall away check, and betray one another, check, and hate one another, check. Many false prophets will arise, double check, and mislead many because lawlessness is increased. Most people's love will grow cold. 
Most people's love will grow, will grow cold. Number one, that day's here. Number two, beware that it not be us. So we may be in the final days. And then there's a fourth possibility. We may just be involved in another cycle of the evil of man. For example, the Romans killed everyone in Jerusalem and destroyed the temple in 70 AD. And when I say kill everyone, you could Google Josephus and the attack on Jerusalem in 70 AD, but you better have a strong stomach to do it. Did Christians then think this was the end? It checked a lot of boxes. The Black Plague wiped out millions of people from 1347 to 1352. What did Christians think then? Was it over? Hitler and the Third Reich plunged the world into utter chaos in World War II. And we see this cycle, if you want to look in your Bible, at Judges chapter 2, verse 15. Judges chapter 2, verse 15. And before I go there, yes, I know Israel is not America, but God is God and God judges evil. And there is a cycle in humanity of evil, judgment, and restoration. So the Hebrews would sin grievously against God. And verse 15 says, wherever they went, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil as the Lord has spoken and as the Lord has sworn, sworn to them so that they were severely distressed. Verse 16, this is called repentance. The Lord raised up judges who delivered them from the hands of those who plundered them. And other verses say he heard their cries. So they've been delivered and we're starting over again. But verse 17 says they did not listen to their judges. For they played the harlot after other gods. They turned aside quickly from the way in which their fathers had walked in obeying the commandments of the Lord. Verse 18, the cycle continues. When the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge and delivered them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who oppressed and afflicted them. And you would think now they're on the straight and narrow. But verse 19 says... When the judge died, they would turn their back and act more corruptly than their fathers. And that describes a cycle of evil. So four possibilities that explain our day. Well, what are we to do? That's going to be a subject in the upcoming days, but I want to hit a couple of points very quickly. Number one, realize there's a Christianity that is always angry with a sinful world. And that's not who we want to be. Now, I know the objection to that. There's a righteous anger. That's true. I mean, why do drag queens want to perform in front of kids? That makes me upset. Gender change surgery, human trafficking, abortion, injustice, and we could go on. I was reading recently about Amy Carmichael, a missionary to India. Her righteous anger led her to begin a ministry in India saving babies and children from temple prostitution. But we have to remember that Satan blinds the eyes of unbelievers. He steals the word of God from their hearts. So funnel that righteous anger into evangelism. Be intentional at telling the world about Jesus. Take that energy and funnel it in a positive way. Number two. We all have to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. We have to turn from our wicked ways. Focus on personal holiness, not the world's wickedness. Now, number three, and this is, well, I'll just say it. Beware of the poisonous 
IV drip of news channel propaganda, alarmist websites, and cultural pundits. You can be taken captive by all the voices of the day telling you everything that is wrong. And I'm not saying they're wrong. But if you continue to IV drip that, it's going to drain hope from you. Stay informed, but in small doses. Number four, and this is important, keep living life. Have kids. Not at our age, but have kids. <laughs> Build careers. Live joyously. Give generously. Pray frequently. Come to church. Be serious about following Jesus. Have fun in life. And number five, remember that Jesus died to reverse this curse of sin. So when you look at yourself, realize that you can be rid of sin that perhaps you have been committing for years and just become complacent about it. Not just forgiven, but be free from it. As a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I tell you on the authority of God's word, there is no sin that has to shackle you. You are not hopelessly bound up in a Romans chapter 1 spiral or the typical cycle of sin. You can take heart because you can be done with sin. We're never sinless, but you can be done with that sin that binds you. And always remember the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, who died on that cross, who gave himself for us, who died, was buried, rose again. We have that certain promise of eternal life with him. And he fills us with the Holy Spirit so we can not only obey him, but we can lead this joyous life of walking with Jesus in a world that is increasing in wickedness. And this morning, if you would say, I'm, I'm not a Christian, or I don't know what would happen to me if I died, I'm just not certain. If you repent of your sins and trust Jesus for salvation, you will be saved. It's not complicated. He did not make it hard to be saved. Recognize your sin, desire to turn away from it, turn away from it as much as you know, and put your trust completely in Jesus for eternal life. Not something you can do, not some way you can pay him back. You trust completely in him. And if you say, you know, I'm not sure about that, Nathan would love to have that conversation with you. Kirk would, and so would I. So don't hold back. We'd love to talk to you about that. Thanks for listening to me. It's going to be more upbeat than this. But for now, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. I pray, first of all, that there would be no hypocrisy found in me or us. And, and, and I know there's always, we never live up to the truth you give us. But I pray that in greater ways, we would obey you both positively and negatively. That, that you would encourage and strengthen our hearts. That you would take away the fear from those who are fearful that you would encourage those who are greatly dismayed and that you would bind our hearts together as a church, that we would have more fellowship and more edification than we've ever had in the whole time I've been here. We pray also, Lord, that by your mercy you would stop this tide of evil, children being uh, oppressed and even aborted, uh, people misled, uh, marriages breaking up, society tearing apart. We want to be people who represent Jesus, the healing hand of Jesus, the grace of Jesus, but also the truth of Jesus. And we want to be able to speak truth gracefully and speak grace truthfully. Would you give us that 
ability and that power in the upcoming days. And as we do reach out to people, I pray that you would prevent the word of God from being stolen by the devil in the human heart. We pray for many, many people to come to the Lord Jesus in these days and the upcoming days. And I am grateful for you, Lord Jesus. I'm grateful for these faithful people who are sitting in these seats. I pray that you bless every single one of them. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.